Today, I'm talking to the poet Maggie Smith, author of the national bestseller Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity and Change. In 2016, her poem Good Bones went viral internationally and has been translated into nearly a dozen languages. Public Radio International called it the official poem of 2016. Maggie, you grew up in Ohio. Um, what sort of kid were you like? What were you like at school? Um, it's it's funny. I still actually live basically in the same general area that I've lived in my whole life. Um, and I'm probably not that different from what I was like <laughs> as a kid. I was um, a bookworm. I liked to be outside kind of exploring in the woods, in the creek behind my parents' house. Um, I was creative. Uh, I like to be out sort of doing scavenger hunts and riding my bike and roller skating and playing with my friends. But I was pretty um, shy as a kid. I was like kind of a nervous kid. And I write about that a little bit and keep moving. Um, and I'm, I'm not as shy as I once was, which makes life a little bit easier. I really wanted to know what it's like to get an interest in poetry from a young age because there's every kid starts a band or draws or something like that but poetry is a little bit less common as an interest in a child so do you know what it was that first got you into that were you into your big reader you said you're a bookworm but what, what was it about poetry that was such a draw to you you know it's funny I don't I think I was actually writing poetry before I was really reading poetry so I, I think I wrote my first poem when I was 13 and it seems like 13, 14, 15, 16, that is often the sweet spot for for beginning to write poems, probably because of all of that uh, teenage angst. <laughs> um, but I wasn't really reading poems when I was 13. Um, I was reading fiction, like most of us at that age, but I was really into music. So I listened to um, you know, this would have been in the in the late 80s. So I would listen to my parents' records and I had, uh, you know, a cassette player and eventually I had a CD player. And so I would listen in my bedroom to uh, the Beatles and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and Joni Mitchell and all of these, um, you know, singers and songwriters who were doing things with words that were different than the kinds of things I was reading in books and I would transcribe the lyrics. So I, I remember sitting on my floor and rewinding um, the tape I had of Sgt. Pepper and trying to write down all of the lyrics to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And I think maybe those, those songs were the first, my sort of first gateway into writing poems because they were doing something with lyrics um, that didn't always involve narrative or story. It was more, um, you know, flashes of, of imagery, and I found that really interesting. Did you try and write your own songs and own lyrics, or did you go straight in for just the lyrical poetry, that kind of thing? No, I couldn't play an instrument. So, it, you know, maybe if I'd played piano or played guitar, that would have been a natural thing to do, but I didn't. Um, and I was also, again, I was really shy. So the idea of, of performing anything would have scared the daylights out of me. So it was much safer to, to stay in my room and just scribble things on a piece of paper that, that then no one would have to see. And I, of course, that's the funny thing about being a writer is that it's very solitary and you're sort of just having a conversation with yourself on paper. But eventually... 
Um, the goal is to have a readership and maybe you might have to get up in front of people and actually say those words at some time. <laughs> when was it that you first became comfortable sharing your work with other people and letting them read it and even, you know, as you say, performing the, the poems live? Comfortable, uh, probably in my 30s. <laughs> um, I started doing it um, in college. So in my you know late teens, early 20s, I um, was more or less sort of forced into reading something on stage one time, and it didn't kill me. And I think oftentimes for, for those of us who are introverted, we just need a sort of exposure therapy. And so doing something over and over again, whether it's, you know, flying on an airplane or getting up and reading a poem in front of people or playing a song in front of people, if you do something enough times and nothing bad happens, it's less scary the next time and less scary the next time. And so, and so I started doing it in college, but I wouldn't say it became, um, you know, quote unquote, easy for me until probably my, after my second book came out, um, because I that wasn't even that long ago. Was no, it? no, my second book came out in 2015. So uh, you know, I I have had years and years and years of being really comfortable writing alone, and really uncomfortable doing the rest of it. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not shy about it anymore. Now it, it doesn't bother me. I really actually really enjoy going to bookstores and, and going to universities and reading poems and meeting with, with readers and meeting with students. And, and now it, it doesn't scare me as much. I think part of that is just middle age and you, you kind of get over yourself and you realize the stakes are fairly low, but it's hard in your teens and twenties when you do tend to care a little bit more about what people think about you. So one of the reasons that I came across your poetry is that in 2016, a poem that you wrote called Good Bones uh, went viral, which is an odd word to describe a poem I found the word viral because it takes more than a glance to take in a poem. It's not something that you throw away. And I'm sure that it might have been unusual for you to read your poems being described as viral. What was that experience like? Can you tell me about uh, Good Bones and what it was like seeing it reach such a wide audience like that? Yeah, it was really unexpected. It was um, still remains probably the strangest uh, moment of my life other than maybe having my children <laughs> and being in charge of two other human beings in, in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I, when, when I write a poem, my, my expectation is that primarily the audience for that poem will be other poets. And it's, you know, typically a, a fairly small but discerning readership the people who are poetry people. And so I wrote, I wrote Good Bones um, the summer of 2015 at a coffee shop very close to my house where I am now um, and sent it out to literary magazines and it was rejected a few times before it got picked up. And then it got slated for publication, you know, almost a year later. So I kind of just forgot about it and kept writing other poems. And it didn't strike me as anything different than anything I had done before. And then when it came out, it just so happened to be the week that Joe Cox was killed. Uh, and it just so happened to be also the week here that um, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened in Orlando, Florida. 
And so it really came down to timing of, of the publication of that poem. Um, and it just caught fire because of those events and people needed comfort and were really grasping for, for something um, that week and in the weeks following. And it was incredibly strange. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a mom in Ohio <laughs> who writes poems. So to, you know, have the, you know, the BBC reaching out about a poem I wrote at a coffee shop a few blocks from my house is not something um, that I was used to or will really ever be used to. It, it almost feels sort of out of body, like it happened to someone else. And now when I read that poem or, or see it shared or, or hear about other people reading it, it, it almost feels like public domain work, like it's not mine. I read that Meryl Streep read it once, which must be quite an unusual experience to hear your words coming out of her mouth. Uh, yes. I mean, just the fact that she knows I exist is really strange. I won't lie. I mean, that's like, wait, Meryl Streep knows there's an American poet named Maggie Smith. That that alone is really strange. And yes, I got, I got to listen to the audio of that. Um, I wasn't at Lincoln Center when she read it, um, but I got to hear the audio and it was maybe the most surreal moment of my life. It's like, that's Meryl Streep, and I'm who? You know, uh, it's very, very strange um, and humbling. And um, it's, it's been, it consistently surprises me how many people this poem, this poem touches. The reason you, you wrote the poem initially, it's written to your kids, isn't it? It's written as, a, uh, as your interpretation of what was going on around that time and the way that you're going to tell it to your kids in the future. And now this is already four or five years ago. So are your kids old enough to appreciate what you're doing now? How old are your kids at the moment? Yeah, so now, I mean, they were little back then. So they weren't listening to NPR or watching the news. They had no idea. <laughs> um, you know, they were going to school but didn't know about school shootings, right? So um, I wrote the poem as as a mother in the 21st century, having no idea how to orient young people to this world that makes, frankly, very little sense to me as an adult most of the time. Um, and now they are 12 and eight and do know more about what's going on in the world and are aware of politics and are aware um, of, of more of the dangers in the world than certainly they were, you know, six years ago but um i'm still it's still a, a sort of balance is how how much do we do we shelter our kids um to keep them happy and how much do we tell them in order to not uh lie and, and that's the that's the balance after having written good bones which is a more broadly reaching collection of poems it covers you know the world as a whole you went on a much more personal endeavor and you wrote keep moving notes on loss creativity and change which started out as tweets and then developed more and more into um a book which is quite an interesting thing because it's not a book poetry it's more of uh, you know the fact that you've described it as notes on loss creativity and change i think is a interesting way because it's just sort of like post-it notes of information and quite inspirational things. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's my first book of of prose, um, although it, it is, um, you know, short form. So I, when, when my marriage ended, I started writing these little notes to self, and they were kind of like post-it notes, like little self-pep talks that I would write often in bed on my phone, you know, in the dark before I even had a cup of coffee or, or made, packed a lunch for anyone or made breakfast. And just to kind of set the intention for the day, just to get myself into uh, a somewhat brighter headspace than I probably would have been inclined to be in at that time. And I would post them um, on Twitter and then later on Instagram every day. And I never thought it would be a book, to be quite honest. I just was going to keep posting these notes every day until I didn't need them anymore because they were for me. They weren't for other people. The you and all of those notes is me. I'm just talking to myself on, on the page. And so um, I started posting them and something really surprising happened. Really two things. One, uh, it worked. I mean, I was in such a dark place and telling myself something kind first thing in the morning every day and trying to be hopeful really actually I saw results from that which as I call myself a recovering pessimist as a recovering pessimist that really surprised me um and then people were really reacting to them so I was hearing from people all over the world really who were saying oh my god I'm going through something really similar or I wish I had had these notes when I went through something similar or I'm going through a different problem but I really needed this note to get me through this day or the next couple of hours or this week and people asked for a book which is not how I've ever written a book you know no one no one has ever asked me to write a book of poems no one is banging down your door asking for poems that's not how it works uh, there's a supply and demand problem there, but n no one's ever asking. I just make the thing. And and with this book, I was just posting these every day, and people were saying, I wish I had a book of these to keep on my nightstand, or I wish I had a book of these to send to my sister or my best friend or my neighbor who just lost his mom or you know whatever the case may be. And so that's really where the idea for collecting these notes into a book came from and then I ended up writing you know longer essays to kind of contextualize them and talk a little bit about more about the big ideas in the book like hope and, and courage and resilience but it was a really different writing experience for me than um, than writing a book of poems later this year you've got a book coming out called goldenrod um, is that book more of a follow-on from your uh, original poetry, or has it got more in common with Keep Moving? What can readers expect from that? Yeah, Goldenrod will be out um, at the end of July, the 27th of July, and it is, um, it's a collection of poems. So um, it, it sort of picks up where Good Bones left off, um, because when I finished Good Bones, of course I kept writing poems. You just have to call it at some point, and that book goes to press, and then you continue to write poems. And so over the past um, you know, five or six years, I've been writing and writing and writing, and Goldenrod is the, the best of the poems I've written since, since Good Bones was published. 
You've won a huge number of awards and received honours and things like that. As a result, you've gone on to teach creative writing. And I was wondering if you do have, you do see yourself as someone who has the, the right to go out and talk about poetry. Or is that sort of something that you have a little bit of trepidation about? Are you comfortable being a, an authority on poetry? Um, I'm not. I'm not really comfortable. I would say as being an authority on poetry. I th I think of myself more of a, of a teaching artist. So I I consider myself a teaching artist, which means if I go and teach a workshop or um, I'm invited to give a reading and do a Q and A, I can speak from my experience both as a writer and and as an editor of poetry. Because one of the other things I do is work on other poets' books. And it's one of my favorite things as a freelancer to do is to have a poet send me a manuscript that either is not working or maybe it's been a finalist at a bunch of presses or contests, but it, it can't quite break through. And I'll spend time with it and see maybe what I might be able to do with it. And so for that, for that kind of work, I like to go in and sort of look at the poem, see what I notice, look at the craft choices that the writer has made, maybe show them other options. Like, have you thought about the lines being longer? Have you thought about a different stanza shape? Have you thought about maybe choosing a title that could do a little bit more work? Have you thought about maybe it's not the poems themselves, it's the way you've organized the manuscript, the sections or the order of the poems, the sort of arc of the, of the story you're telling here. And so all of those things are things I consider as an editor. And so when I'm, when I'm teaching and I'm talking either about student work or, or discussing published work, um, I like to approach, approach it that way, really keeping it craft-centered. You know, I don't have a PhD in literature, so I don't see myself as um, the professor, capital P. I see myself as a poet who does this on a daily basis and therefore has things to say about the making of the thing and, and maybe trying some different things out because all of this is experimentation. You know, that's the fun of it. Do you feel that some of the work that you edit and advise people on can inform your own work? Do you feel like you're learning things from doing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm always, I'm always, it's just like reading anything, right? I mean, anytime I pick up a book of poems, I'm half reading it for pleasure and I'm half reading it as a sort of fact-finding mission because I'm really interested in seeing, okay, what's the interplay between sentence structure and line here? Or how are they using sound? Or, oh, I, I'm interested in the way that they're, you know, using titles throughout this piece of work. So it's, it's, it's always about what can I glean for myself from what I'm reading. And, and I find that reading, you know, student work or mentees work um, or client work is the same. It's inspiring. You know, I learn a lot about the craft from what, from what I read, regardless of whether it's published work or not. People who aren't familiar with your work listening to this interview, I imagine they'll go away and listen to Good Bones as their first take on your work. Are you happy with that being their first impression of you, or would you like them to go and try something else first? 
That's a really funny question. Not haha funny, but that's a really interesting question because I don't, it's, you know, even when I think about Good Bones, the book, Good Bones, the poem is not my favorite poem in Good Bones, the book. Um, there are other poems I like better or I feel more personally attached to. And I actually think, um, I think Goldenrod is a better book than Good Bones. And I think, you know, as artists, we're always trying to uh, improve upon the last thing that we did. And so uh, it's a good thing. I think it's a better book. It'd be really sad if I said, well, I've got a new book coming out in July and it's it's not quite as good as my last one, but I hope you'll read it anyway. <laughs> that would be a little that would be a little pathetic. But, um, I, you know, I have to be OK with Good Bones being the gateway that gets most people to read other poems by me and maybe other poems by other poets, because I do think that that poem sort of left the that sort of insulated audience of poetry and reached a lot of people who don't consider themselves poetry people or poetry readers and maybe if that poem touched them they'll seek out my other work and maybe if that poem touched them they'll seek out other poems because it's the same thing with music if you hear what a song and it makes you feel something you don't want to just listen to that song on repeat for the rest of your life you want to you want to listen to the rest of that record and the rest of that artist's work. And then you want to listen to other songs that are kind of like that in that same vein. And so my hope with a viral poem is that it might just be good for poetry and, and get other people to read, to read more and read more widely. And um, if, they, if they come to me through Good Bones, um, I welcome them that way. So Maggie, what would you like to offer up as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? Okay, well, I, so the two things I do the most are read and listen to music. And I tend to do them at the same time, which I know some writers can't listen to music while they write. That's not me. I like to have music playing all the time. Um, so much so that my kids ask me to turn it off or turn it down. And I say, no, go play outside or go upstairs if you don't want to hear my music um, because it's my house. So I would like to offer a record. And it's by Laura Veers, V-E-I-R-S. And the album is called My Echo. And the record I have is Hot Pink, which looks so beautiful spinning. And it's an incredible album, and I think everyone should give it a try. Maggie, where can listeners uh, keep up to date with what you do and read your poetry and buy your books? Well, I think in, I've, I've run into the issue of being the other Maggie Smith. <laughs> my uh my social media bios both say uh not the dame the other one so my website and my twitter bio and my or my twitter handle my website my twitter handle and my instagram handle are all maggie smith poet so if you google or look up maggie smith poet you will not get the dame um, who is fantastic in her own right. 
Um, but you'll be able to find my poems and links to buy my books, and you'll be able to find my social media feeds if you'd like to hear me prattering on about, um, you know, music or my children or politics or whatever the case may be on any given day. Great stuff. Thanks a lot for talking to me, Maggie. No, this has been my pleasure. Thank you.